We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. NFL podcast. It is Thursday, October 8th. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are into week five of the NFL season, so we've got our first round of, of bye weeks uh, starting to kick in here. We got a pretty interesting slate of games to get into here. We're going to get into every single game uh, on this week's slate, breaking it down from every angle. You know how we do things around here. Uh, Mario, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. How are you, do- how are you doing, John? I'm well. Uh, the weather's nice. Uh, you know, the, a nice crisp fall is is upon us. It's been a little bit warmer than it usually is this time of year here. And you know, outside of football, been enjoying just being able to just mainline baseball for like ten hours a day these last couple of days. I, I know that doesn't uh, it isn't going to last too much longer here, but enjoying those enjoying the playoff baseball. I know that the Brewers bowed out, unfortunately, a little bit earlier, but it's been pretty entertaining baseball on top of it. But we'll we'll keep it on locked on football here for, for this podcast. Uh, let's get things started here. 
Thursday night game, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going into Chicago to face off against those Chicago Bears. Uh, the Bucks are three and a half point favorites in this one. I think that that might have moved a little bit. I believe the Bucks were four and a half point favorites a little bit earlier on in the week, but things have things have trended towards the towards the Bears a little bit. Because there are so many injuries when it comes to the, this uh, Buccaneers team, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. So between Fournette having the ankle, LaShawn McCoy being out, uh, O.J. Howard blowing his Achilles on, on Sunday, and then you also have, I think, Justin Watson is dinged up as well. And even the guys that are likely to play are also going to be dealing with some stuff with, with Mike Evans dealing with, with an injury, uh, Scotty Miller as well, uh, Evans with the ankle and, and Scotty Miller with, with the hip and, and the groin issue that's a lot of firepower that's going to be limited or out for for tom brady on a short week on thursday yeah definitely and i guess you would have some cause for you know skepticism enduring skepticism of ronald jones Keyshawn vaughn the, the tampa bay running game in other words so it is fair to kind of look at this matchup and see on one side, yes, the Bears' offense is dubious at best, probably bad, and the Tampa Bay defense could be one of the best in the league. So you look at that, and it's like, well, that's that's one big advantage in this matchup. And yet, if you look at the offense for Tampa Bay, it's bleak enough that you know, and the Chicago Bears' defense is good enough, especially in a setting like this, I would guess, on a short week, that you can imagine the advantage, uh, the the advantage that the Buccaneers have on their defense versus the Bears' offense might not mean as much as, as it would in other cases because you still need to score points and just stopping the other team from scoring doesn't necessarily mean you are scoring yourself or that your offense isn't putting the defense on a short field with a turnover here and there. So uh, I guess things like that tend to go wrong for the visiting team more often than the, the home team. So maybe that's the reason that there's more money coming in at the last second for the Bears here. Uh, so, yeah, I I mean, I think Tyler Johnson is a really good prospect at receiver. And I think the NFL was basically wrong to let him fall into the fifth round of the draft like they did. But it's it's one of those things like even if I think he's good, what are the odds that he's actually going to be prepared for a sort, sort of short notice, you know, a difficult setting like this, especially because he's going to go against good corners like uh, Kyle Fuller and uh, Jalen Johnson. So. There's a lot of dead ends for the Buccaneers, just even though they're, you know, the Bears' offense looks pretty hopeless on on the other side. Yeah, the the Bears have been one of my several kryptonites this year. I can't seem to figure them out. When I back them, they they it goes horribly wrong. Uh, when I'm off them, they they tend to burn me. At least that's how it's been through these first four weeks. And last week, it, I just the, it was a weird confluence because I'm also completely unable to get a read on Indianapolis as well because I'm so low on Philip Rivers but they keep winning um, other than that other than that first week so like that was that was just like a nightmare scenario for for my brain where I, I just could not figure out how that game was going to go obviously it didn't go well uh, mostly for the Bears in that one but th- there's some frustrating stuff on on the Indianapolis side as well but circling back to this game it's hard to have a whole lot of optimism about this Bears offense going against this Bucks defense that like you said really is among the best in the league so I think this is going to be an abnormal game for the Bucks. it's probably not what they want to do most of the time but I think they have what it takes to just win on defense and just kind of grinding this one out in a very low scoring contest so I, I think this could be like a 20 to 17 Bucks uh, type of outcome here 
Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like the under, which like I'm surprised it was uh, an over under over 40 mm-hmm. for this game, let alone 45 down to 44 and a half, I guess at the moment. I would take the under there. And uh, yeah, I guess I guess Allen Robinson can do some hero stuff for the Bears. Uh, he tends to actually. It's just that even if he does, it's hard to see how the Bears put up the sum on offense necessary to win unless Tom Brady completely falls apart, which it could happen. He, he wasn't as good against the Chargers as his numbers looked. There was there was some pretty sloppy stretches for him in between the five touchdowns, just some, some big plays kind of showing up opportunistically for him but it's he was closer to his baseline than those numbers look and in this setting he'll be well below his baseline but yeah I still would take the Tampa Bay side because I just think what whereas the Bears defense is merely good and pertinently probably not as good against the run as they've been in in most recent years and uh the the Buccaneers defense is truly great and I think if they need to get Ronald Jones and even Keyshawn Vaughn to get them you know, that that one field goal margin, I think they can do it. OK. All right. That, that definitely makes sense. And then if you're going into the showdown slate tonight, do you, are you throwing in a Tyler Johnson or a Keyshawn Vaughn? Uh, maybe both, because there you go. I, I mean, Ronald Jones is, is, I guess, if you're making like multiple lineups, you want to get primary exposure to him. Uh, I wouldn't be going at the passing game a whole lot. So if I did, yeah, maybe I would just go with one of. Johnson or Brate or Gronk I think I'd try to like get whatever get the most of what Brady does without actually investing in Brady and hope that one of those guys just kind of gets a little bit of the lead on the rest because yeah it's got to happen mostly on the ground like Ronald Jones has to step up in this game for Tampa Bay to win yeah uh, I do like dumpster diving in, in my in my showdown lineups I've really gotten into them this year and uh, last week the, the Jeff Smith thing what reminded me very much of like a college football DFS type of situation where like a Rich Samini, uh, one of the Jets beat writers, is like, yeah, so this guy Jeff Smith is starting, it looks like. And I'm like, wait a second. And then, and then I check DraftKings, and he's, you know, like – like basically at the at the minimum price basically free to have in your lineup and he ends up having that great game so i feel like with all those injuries on the bucks you might run into a scenario similar to 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 last week and you can find this week's jeff smith on the bucks and hopefully it's tyler johnson if it's not him in the event that uh, scott miller and well we know godwin and watson are out but if scott miller is also out then Jaden Mickens might be the guy too. He would probably be their slot receiver and Johnson would probably be outside opposite Evans. But uh, yeah, Mickens would run against Buster Screen, who is a much worse corner than Jalen Johnson or Kyla Fuller are. Okay, that that is definitely a, a good note there. And Brady obviously likes to go to the slot too. So keep that in mind for your showdown lineups as we get a little bit closer to kickoff there. Um, let's get on to our next matchup. Let's get into the Sunday slate. Uh, we got an NFC South battle between the, the Falcons and the Panthers. The Falcons looked pretty lifeless Monday night against the Packers. The Panthers showing a lot more punch over these last two weeks than I think any of us would have expected, especially without Christian McCaffrey. Unfortunately, feeding the RBs don't matter, uh, folks, uh, get, getting them their, their feed for the week. Um, anyway, Falcons... One and a half point favorites at home against the Panthers. What's going on here? Well, uh, it's hard to tell whether anything is setting up good for Julio. It doesn't really sound that promising to this point. I'm not really assuming he'll play. 
if he does, I'm pretty sure it'll be uh, it, like it was stupid that they played him last week. You could see he was hurt when he was playing. And then uh, Dirk Cutter just gets dumber every single day of his life and <laughs> called. He was calling just the stupidest sequences of plays. It was truly maddening to me. Um, but, yeah, he's like calling these uh, lopsided passing formations all to the right side of the offense, which is away from Kevin King. So it was like he was choosing to run Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley against uh, Jair Alexander and Chandon Sullivan instead of Kevin King, who you just cannot lose against. Like he always fails if you just throw at him. And Dirk Cutter just instead got Julio hurt again on a screen pass right into the teeth of the toughest part of the Green Bay defense. Like these guys need to start getting fired. They they get it's a hazard to their own intelligence if they're left in these positions of authority because it, they just rot their brains there and get dumber all the time. Um, anyway, I think he hurt Julio on that play, and it was a doomed play design from the start. And uh, yeah, Julio and Julio's investors get to pay. Uh, whatever the the misdirected karmic price for, for that for that ridiculous folly on, on Cutter's part. Um, so I'm not I'm not assuming Julio plays. Calvin Ridley I thought more or less looked okay in that game. He was just like a bad setup for him, getting no doubt a lot of Jaira attention and just barely missing on that one toss that that was on like the first drive and he had a drop later or something like that. So he should bounce back and I think. Uh, no one in this Carolina secondary can really cover him. I do think that Phil Snow, the defensive coordinator for the Panthers, is pretty good. I noticed they're using some kind of novel and varied sort of secondary looks, like kind of doing some amoeba stuff using Jeremy Chin, that second round safety. Like I guess he doesn't have, he hasn't done great or anything, but they're basically using him as a rover. And uh, they're, so it kind of looks like a linebacker, kind of looks like a slot corner. Don't really have a recent use of this position in the NFL. It was always more of like a Virginia Tech kind of defense, 4-4 kind of look, 5-2 um, kind of stuff. And they're doing all that and they're switching things up a lot from week to week. Like I think they were using Rasul Douglas as a shadow corner on DeAndre Hopkins last week. But I don't think that's because they'll do that all the time. And like specifically, I don't think they'll do that for Ridley. Uh, I do think that if Julio plays, Rasul Douglas will shadow him because they're both like oversized uh, basically at their position. And Rasul Douglas is it's kind of like a James Bradbury thing. Like he might match up pretty well with big receivers. Uh, so he might do uh, well against like Mike Evans's and Julio Jones's. But against Calvin Ridley, that's when Rasul Douglas starts to look like the bad Eagles Rasul Douglas because mm-hmm. he just can't run that much. Like he needs he needs to be able to leverage his his like height and arm length into the, the playing of the position of cornerback. And if you put Ridley on him, he can't really do that. He's just kind of like laterally moving and tripping over himself. So I think Ridley can beat him pretty easily. Dante Jackson lines up more easily with Ridley, but I, I don't know that he would shadow Ridley because if they shadow Ridley with Dante Jackson, then that leaves Rasul Douglas to cover Zacchaeus in the event that Julio is out and can absolutely just spin Douglas in circles. So um, I think that it's it's a there are ways for the Falcons to start making consistent damage against this defense. But Julio's availability throws certainly a question mark over that, and mm-hmm. I don't trust Cutter to outsmart anyone, especially Phil Snow, who I think even though he's on a defense that won't be good this year, I think Snow is probably one of the better defensive coordinators out there. Okay, interesting, and then. Just rounding things out as far as this Falcons personnel is concerned, is Zacchaeus happening? 
Well, that one catch that he had was just one that, like, t- I can't remember if it tipped off of a player in front of him. Uh, it was, like, almost intercepted, and he was behind the guy and caught it, and it wasn't going to Zacchaeus, I don't think. So that one play was lucky. It's almost like they should count it as a catch but not a target. Uh, but anyway, he was, I think, you know, like some of those catches, I'll, I'll admit, were just kind of like low difficulty ones because Ryan wasn't really pushing the ball up the field. But Zacchaeus has a long history of production from Virginia, and he's a totally adequate athlete, uh, neither of which is really the case for Russell Gage. Like, I'll admit he's better this year. He, he looks good enough, I guess. Mm-hmm. But Zacchaeus can do anything he can, and there are plenty of things Gage can't do that Zacchaeus can. So, uh, But he'll be running outside. It'll be Gage in the slot, even if Julio is out. And I don't think it's a great matchup for Gage. I guess he'll mostly see Corn Elder and Jeremy Chin, but I I don't know. I, just, I still don't think Gage is anything more than like a, a baseline rider, and if that. And uh, I think Zacchaeus, I mean, what he did at Virginia, is, it, it just speaks for itself. Gage could not do anything until basically week one of this year in his entire career of playing mm-hmm. receiver. So I'm, I'm definitely more inclined to buy Zacchaeus. And I, I, again, if he's on Roswell Douglas, Roswell Douglas at 6'2", 210 or whatever, running that 4'6", he does not have like the leg build to cover a player like Zacchaeus being as short and quick and explosive as he is. Like Russell Douglas will literally cross his legs and trip if he tries to cover Zacchaeus all game. Okay. And then two more. What do you do with Hayden Hurst at this point? Uh, you just got to keep waiting. Like the, the Packers probably are, are good at dealing with people like him just because uh, like Ch- Ch- I know Chandon Sullivan got hurt, but it's like they got the two safeties who are basically both free safeties and Chandon Sullivan, really good in the middle. Um, I, I think Hurst has sort of like an unfair expectation of, of plugging into what Hooper did. And it, they, like it's not even theoretically what Hurst is supposed to be. Hurst is a different kind of player. He might need things a little more set up for him because he doesn't really seem to dictate targets. It's like he's one of those guys who when you target him, he's efficient and even explosive sometimes. But he can't really create the situation himself where he gets that target. So um, I wouldn't expect him to be some kind of like world beater. Like He'll never take up a Darren Waller kind of role in an offense. But uh, when the targets happen, they should be efficient. And, you know, he's not going to go forever without getting targets, especially um, this might be a good spot for Hayden Hurst. Like Jeremy Chin might be on Hurst for the most part. And Chin, you know, he's coming from Southern Illinois. I don't even know if he was a safety there, if he was a linebacker. I can't remember. But like he's 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 learning a new position. Basically, he's playing Rover. And, uh, you know, as far as as far as fifth game assignments go, Hayden Hurst is definitely an intimidating one for a guy like him. Okay, and then let's see. Let's let's hit Todd Gurley real quick and then get on get on the Panther side of this. I mean, yeah, he looks like Dallas Cowboys Eddie George or something. Like he he looks so <laughs> slow. It's it's kind of like a I know it's a hack bit at this point, but God, it is true. He is, to be fair, uh, looking pretty strong. Like he's definitely breaking tackles, but it's just like, man, I don't know if I don't know if you even are as fast as Adrian Peterson is right now. Like that's that guy's running a four seven five, and I'm I'm watching Gurley play, and I'm like, I don't know if he clears four six five right now, which is insane because he used to be legitimately pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, he's lost something, and that makes me worry that he's going to keep losing stuff as the as the season goes along. But they, they ca- you know, they they are like holding him out for entire drives at a time to to like keep him up, and he's still looking like that. Yeah, I don't I don't have any reassuring case studies to recall. Like I don't remember someone looking like him, and then all of a sudden being like, ah, 
I feel 10 years younger all of a sudden, which within, in his case, it's like, he's only like 27 or something. Yeah. The Mr. Burns treatment. Yeah. So, uh, it's not great. And, uh, they, the the good news for his fantasy investors though, is because the Falcons are such a mismanaged, uh, you know, sub circus sort of endeavor. It's like, they don't have any better things to do. Like they, they're so stupid. Like this team is, is the, is so bad at talent evaluation that they threw basically all of their, uh, backup personnel equity into, uh, Brian Hill and Russell Gage. And it's like, if you think those two are like worthwhile NFL prospects, you know, worth, worth spending project time on, then you are going to have bad players. Like you're going to have a few good players like Julio and Calvin Ridley, if you're lucky, but besides them, you you've mismanaged everything. And now if Todd Gurley turns out to be old and busted, you don't have any recourse unless, unless you consider Brian Hill recourse, which I don't, I think he's, he's not any good. Like everything about them just is so mismanaged. It's, it's so infuriating, but I, I think Gurley is a sell high in fantasy all the same because it's like those touchdowns might not keep happening. And uh, if you got a guy who's getting lots of carries and no yardage, nor no touchdowns, and, and everybody already is looking for the failure. The everybody's waiting for Gurley to completely turn to dust. So uh, you won't get any like generous interpretation of your offers if he starts having a string of bad games. For sure, for sure. Um, and then on the on the Panther side, I mean, this should be pretty much green lights for all the all the major players here going up against the Falcons. Yeah, it's a great matchup for all three receivers. How they choose to use them is I guess less clear, but it seems like Curtis Samuel is going to be completely inverse of what he should be doing. He should be playing the position that DJ Moore is playing. DJ Moore should be playing, uh, I guess the Curtis Samuel one and Robbie Anderson should keep playing the one that he's been playing, but they should just be making Samuel and more and more productive than they've been by the virtue of putting them in their proper positions. But it seems like Matt rule is basically just trying to make Robbie Anderson, their number one receiver. And, I think Robbie Anderson's good, but uh, it, I don't. I don't think DJ Moore is going to have the season anyone hoped for because I don't think Matt Rule cares about making him that player. Oh, that's unfortunate. So I mean, that's a, a yeah, that, it's just uh, crony stuff. And I, I want to mention real quickly is like uh, people look around the NFL and you know they they hear about people pointing out racism and coaching hires and stuff like that and the way that black quarterbacks versus white quarterbacks are treated and sometimes that stuff can happen less because of like intentional racism and more just because of cronyism. And there's, it's a really interesting example that Robbie Anderson of all people is an example of this coaching cronyism because it's like, he's like, we know he's not as good as DJ Moore. Like he's, I like Robbie Anderson. I think he's quite good. And the, the jets screwed up by letting him waste away the way that he did. And then letting him walk the way that they let him go. But they're choosing to make Robbie Anderson a bigger player than DJ Moore just because Matt Rule knows Robbie Anderson and trusts him and stuff. And so it's like when you have that kind of cronyism happening left and right and you have a society that's built on an unequal distribution of resources on the basis of demographics, then just letting things play out over time will have over time an accumulating like discriminant effect. And it's like this is a this is an innocuous case of it because there's no you know discrimination happening that anyone can tell. But it's like you could imagine if the demographics were different, it would basically look like it was being done on that basis. Mm. But it's actually just a classic case of look good old boys club looking out for your buddy that's all it is in a lot of cases <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so yeah anderson has been getting a sur- surprising amount um of action in that offense especially relative to dj Moore. that that has been one of the surprising uh developments under this new coaching regime under matt rule um let's get on over to the Bengals versus the ravens 
Lamar Jackson dealing with that knee issue apparently um so that 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 kind of freezes the the betting market on this game at least for the for the time being um I think it's supposed to be minor when it comes to Jackson if Jackson is good to go how do you see this game shaking out well if I was the Ravens I'd try to just have it uh have a result that doesn't really hinge on, on Lamar Jackson like they should be able to just kind of run over this Bengals defense and the Bengals, or sorry, the, the Ravens defense should be good enough to kind of keep under control whatever threat might be posed by the Bengals offense. And there might not be much of a threat posed by the Bengals offense, but the, the Ravens have this backfield with Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson, I know is a dangerous runner and it's part of what makes the structure of the offense like that rushing threat. But in a, a one off context like this, it should be the sort of setting where the Ravens just say, like, we're we're basically foregoing this one part that we normally have in our offense, and we're going to bank on the fact that we've got still an offensive line that can clear room in the running game for our, you know, various capable running backs, and we'll otherwise kind of just like bank on the other team's offensive line problems, kind of subsidizing whatever we give up by by forfeiting the, the Lamar Jackson run threat because that Bengals offensive line is going to keep being bad. And Calais Campbell, Derek Wolf, like I said this before, those are the kind of guys who you really need to have an anchor up front to withstand them. It's like if you have a good anchor, you can kind of neutralize them and, and slow them down at least, even in their kind of like older age, even though they're not like burst they're not known for burst and they're, they're pass rushing but if you put up a, a weak anchor in front of them they can just knock over the that that's that clown uh balloon doll thing it's like the, clay's Campbell, Derek wolf they get their big mitts swinging it's like they'll just knock over those offensive linemen just devour joe burrow so i'm worried about that for burrow's side the Bengals kind of need to give the ball to joe mixon a lot but i'm not optimistic that he'll get very far so i, I just kind of see a lot of dead ends for the Bengals and I think the Ravens would be smart to let those dead ends kind of like work for them keep Lamar out of harm's way uh, only really use him as a decoy running threat basically because Gus Edwards should be able to just stomp over these these guys in the middle of the field and Dobbins should be able to make big plays if they, they keep giving them the ball so I don't know what's going on with Ingram I kind of feel like in a situation like this the Ravens should feel the pressure to get Edwards and Dobbins going because Ingram's like a ceremonial starter at this point until, until Edwards starts to lose returns as a runner, they need to keep giving him the ball. I think when they really need those rushing yards. And then when they're in an in-between state, we know Dobbins is better at at like the all around function than Ingram. And it's basically hubris at this point, I think for the Ravens to, to give Ingram the ball too much before it's basically a, you know, running out the clock kind of scenario. Yeah. They've kind of mismanaged the the backfield rotation so far, but I think last week was a, a, a step in the right direction, at least when it came to getting Edwards a little bit more involved. Um, I don't know what it means for like J.K. Dobbins's fantasy value right now because he's been a little bit frustrating can, relative to like, you know, you get that first week where you get the two touchdowns and you have like a couple of big plays in the passing game the next week and then mostly not doing a ton these last couple of weeks. But, you know, if you remove Lamar Jackson's rushing from this offense, um, and you 
distribute it to Ingram, to Dobbins, to Edwards, then I think we really start to see this backfield click in a pretty big way. But again, that you know, you you do lose a little bit of the the smoke and mirrors effect if the Bengals aren't worried about Lamar Jackson, you know, actually pulling it and then you know breaking yeah, to the week. It would be a side. bad setup for the long term. It's just like in this one game, I think we have reason to believe they can get away with it, and yeah. because there's these other concerns that they have, they should they should go for that model. I think. Yeah, and then so if that's the case again in, in Lamar Jackson not running it a ton um, obviously Mark Andrews had the big bounce back last week Marquise Brown to a lesser extent also looked looked better than he did against the Chiefs um, well Lamar missed uh, Duvernay in a long play and I'm mm-hmm. wondering if uh, if I'm if you're Harbaugh you have to look at that play and, and start thinking about the offense going forward it's like well what do I believe if if this pass was on target and Duvernay had a long touchdown it's like th- he's better than Boykin they, Bo- Boykin's I, I snap like, started to come down last week so I think the Ravens uh, might be listening to you or listening to the podcast because it, it's yeah. it, Boykin's snaps uh, got scaled down pretty dr- drastically last week. I, I wouldn't say that Duvernay or Prochet's snaps went up by like a, a significant significant amount, but like it's enough to where like it's it's worth noting that that Boykin might be trending downwards enough to the point where he might get caught by a Duvernay or a Prochet, and obviously Duvernay uh, probably first in line for for that role. But yeah, he's playing outside. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Prochet is probably more of a problem for Sneed, which could eventually happen too. Hey, Sneed, ten for ten on targets, brother. Still pretty good. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I think I think the Ravens, in any case, should be able to get Gus and Dobbins to just kind of heave them over the finish line while Mixon falls back to earth and and Burrow struggles with uh, maybe his worst matchup yet. Yeah, this could be a long day for Burrow. I, I think it could look a little bit like the Philly game for him in terms of just like. The offensive line just doing him but zero favors. But with good favors. corners this time, mm-hmm. so that that's yeah. a that's a tough combo uh, for for him to deal with. But you know, he still might be able to compile up so decent enough fantasy stats for you if he drops back like forty times. Um, all right, let's move on over. We got the Jags going up against the Texans. Bill O'Brien's gone. So that's exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, what a ridiculous team. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I don't think anything can really improve, though. It's like they're going to have to go with the same offensive system. And the system was very much part of the problem because Bill O'Brien's uh, passing route, combi- uh, re- receiver route combinations were almost like static. Like, like there's basically nothing dynamic about the, the way those plays set up. There's nothing to sequence with them. And it's all routes. It's like he was doing the McCarthy and Green Bay thing where he wants mm. his routes to follow a philosophy of spreading up the field as much, which can be good if you're going against like press man coverage. But if you go against a basic zone defense, you can just kind of let the zone cover each part of the field. And then these receivers are instead just like uh, they're losing all their leverage by breaking away from each other and, and never crossing each other's routes and never going in motion to, to throw off the, the zone alignments. And Romeo Cornell is not in a position to change any of that. I don't know if any of the remaining uh, offensive staff can maybe do something that O'Brien didn't. But it's, it's like one of those moves. Firing Bill O'Brien is, I guess, a necessary good thing for the long term. But I don't know if uh, – unless they just start letting Deshaun Watson call hot routes in every single play, I kind of worry – that they're going to keep having some some of the letdowns that they have had uh, going forward. But in a game like this, I feel like we're more headed toward a shootout just because of how bad the defenses both are. And I, I you know, I've, I've thought this before, but knock on wood, I think Deshaun should be able to have a, a functional game just because uh, I just don't know if the Jaguars are more than like a 
you know, 25th overall kind of defense right now. Yeah, that they are kind of a mess and maybe a little bit like their week one looking as good as they did against Indianapolis maybe had more to do with Indianapolis's offense than um, than the Jaguars defense. I think that there are clearly some issues still there. I mean, we saw the saw the Bengals game. We saw the Dolphins game not looking great for that Jags defense. And maybe there's just a bit of revitalization around the the morale for for the Texans with, with Bill O'Brien being yeah. gone. So I, <laughs> I expect them to, to come out and, and do well. They, they are favored by six, which is a, f- a fair bit to trust it's what this high. team has currently and constructed. A it, very high over under. So this will be a fun game for, for DFS. But um, I, as far as sides goes, you know, it's hard to trust the Texans with, you know, beating somebody by a touchdown, even at home, especially after last week. That 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 felt like such a good setup for them to get right. Um, but I guess the 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 other side of that was was always going to be if they don't get right then this season is probably lost for the texans and and you know it it ended up being option b and then on the other side it's like do you really trust the jaguars to go on the road and and stay within a touchdown of anybody so it's don't really but man those receivers are really good and james robinson is good and if the over under is sound then i feel like i like the jaguars to cover because that means they're scoring some points, you know, and if they're scoring some points, if they're not bogged down by complete dysfunction, then the Texans defense isn't very good. So I don't know why they would like, you know, stonewall them all of a sudden. It's like Romeo Cornell was running the defense before and uh, it hasn't really helped them a whole lot. So I like I like the shootout potential here. I know Gardner Minshew is not that great. And I know the Jags are both of these teams are kind of dumb in a way that it's it's always scary to put any wager on them. But there's legitimate firepower in that Jacksonville offense. And uh, I, th- I think I would take the Jags to cover, but I do like uh, David Johnson to have a big game here, even though I don't think he's particularly good anymore. Okay. That, that's a, that's a good call there. I think David Johnson in the right setting in the year 2020 can still be effective. It's just that that's those settings are much more fewer and far between there. He's not nearly like the, you know, Matt, uh, matchup independent guy that that he was in years past um let's get on over got a divisional matchup hopefully here uh, between the chiefs and the raiders we'll see how things develop over these next couple of days but as it stands chiefs heavy favorites in this one 12 and a half point favorites Uh, i thought they looked impressive on monday night i I know that it wasn't a full patriots team you know with with the mix of brian hoyer and, and jared stidham testing that defense as opposed to to cam newton so you can only say so much for that um i think you can run on the chiefs a little bit um so may, maybe that sets up well for josh jacobs but if they fall behind which you know the vegas uh spread here seems to imply then then that might go out the window a little bit and then you can't really hurt the Chiefs' secondary the same way at least you don't trust Derek carr to do that so Assuming this one ends up getting played like, like we said, how do you see this one shaking out? Yeah, I think the Chiefs kill them. Basically, it's it's going to be um, it, it, it's like you said the Chiefs do let you run on them sometimes, but it, part of it is that they really are just letting you. It's part of their their model is to basically cut off the sidelines with with big uh, like tall, fast corners like Chavarius Ward who shut down the sideline in the vertical element and they try to put those those like bumper corners on the outside to push everything inward where you run into Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill so it's it's tough to throw on them and it's especially tough to throw down the field it's like as if you're passing on them too they try to make you kind of like dink and dunk sort of in the middle of the field where it's most hazardous to do that and it's it's um even in the run game it's one of those things like they give up 
maybe a lot of yardage per carry and some chunk yardage time to time. But all they're really trying to do is get you into a second and long or a third and long so they can really let loose uh, the edge rushers and Chris Jones, of course, on the interior. And again, force your quarterback to go into that funnel in the middle of the field. And Derek Carr is already a quarterback who puts a self-constrained sort of funnel into the middle of the field on himself because yeah. he he plays as if those bumpers are there even when they're not. And it I at once I think he'll kind of be like at home throwing to that part of the field, but it'll be a very impotent sort of offense that doesn't make any meaningful, like competitive plays really. So um, yeah. And even if Jacobs does, you know, get 35 yards on, on five carries on his first drive, all it takes is him losing three yards on one carry where Chris Jones blows up the middle of the line and then the drive's over. And that's, that's how their model works and it's been working and the Raiders are the exact type of team that would kind of play into their hands, I think. So looking at the at the rest of the Raiders, more in like the long view, I got asked this question on, on the radio yesterday, but for season long, what do you do with Henry Ruggs at this point? Well, I think it's worth holding on to him if you can. I guess it's just a question of like how much does it cost you to hold on to him? And I guess in some cases, especially with this COVID nonsense, you might need to cut him to, to get a starting player into your lineup. So in cases like that, I, you know, it's like in a normal year, I would just say, hold on to him, but I don't know what realistically anyone has at their disposal. I think, you know, his air yardage per snap and what we know he can do after the catch both check out pretty well. Uh, it's not going to be fully harnessed even when he's back because Carr just isn't the type of quarterback to make the most of a player like Ruggs, but it, It'll be one of those things like when he's back, if it's not if, – if anybody other than Waller is doing anything, it has to be Ruggs who's the heavy favorite just on the basis of how much air yardage goes to him and how much he tends to do after the catch per catch. And Renfro is in there, of course. He's staying involved. But he's just categorically limited in, in several ways and I, I don't know um, – like I think he loses to Ruggs definitely when Ruggs is back and it's just the question is like, well, is one of them useful or are they both useless? Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's tough. Not a great setup there um, in this Raiders offense as currently constructed. So t- tough stuff there. Uh, before we get on to our next game, we got a couple messages here. We got uh, one from our friends over at Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard someone say, I've had stock in this player since day one? Well, now Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes' rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now it's reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com to create an account. Then deposit funds to go buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players just like you would real stocks. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time as long as the player isn't currently in a game. Get started today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 with your first deposit of $20 or more. Then we also have a new message from our friends over at Stable. Duel. 
Are you dominating your fantasy league? Well, now there's another game you need to play. Imagine fantasy for horse racing. Stable Duel is live with daily contests offering thousands of dollars to be won each week. Download the Stable Duel app, create your account, and start selecting your horses today. Compete against other players for winner's circle glory and big money prizes. New to racing? Not to worry. Stable Duel is simple and fun with low-level entries and big payouts. Name your stable, select 10 horses within your bankroll, and watch each horse accumulate points depending on where they finish. Invite friends to compete against the sh- invite friends to compete against and show them who dominates at all sports including the sport of kings. Download the Stable Duel app and build your stable today. Get in on the action of Stable Duel. Play, race, win. All right. Let's get on over to the Jets going up against the Cardinals. Sorry. All right, I don't know. The Jets aren't a real team. They they're oh, they're playing the Cardinals. Okay. Okay. That, I just thought they might not be a team anymore. Okay. Uh, but good. I was wrong. Uh, they're playing they're playing at home against the Cardinals and they're hmm. They're they're down to seven points, John. Uh, they started at eight and a half underdogs and now they're down to seven. Uh, with the over under going from forty six and a half to forty seven. So that's curious. Um I don't know. The, the Jets are so weird I can't like they're just a knuckleball as a team, like a poorly thrown knuckleball, and I don't know. Like, is it hubris for us to even try to guess what? I guess Jamison Crowder will happen, but other than that, I just I, I don't like Darnold running for that forty-five yard touchdown last week uh, has me throwing in the towel. And uh, th- with that said, I think Cliff looks pretty bad for the Cardinals right now. I'm not sure yeah, what is going on with the Cardinals. Well, basically, Cliff Kingsbury has I – th- he, he's kind of like a guy who's shown up to this game and he's kind of got like a list of – he's got like a little list of tricks on his sleeve kind of. And he uses these tricks sometimes and they sometimes work and, and he's the only one who has these tricks right now. But it's like they're they're only succeeding in the first place because they're novel and people haven't seen it yet. And, and now they're seeing it and they're saying like, oh, well – now that we know what this looks like, we can make our pieces rearrange such that we'll kind of be sitting where your routes tend to run, which is to say always short, very often in the middle of the field. Uh, Cliff tries to run a lot of just kind of like late cascading drag routes, basically. Mm-hmm. And I understand the theory of it. it. It makes more sense to me against kind of like zone defenses where it's like you're forcing the defender to, to, to look at two different route runners crossing into his zone and pick one. And, and, nece- and it makes him, you know, pick wrong every time, basically. Yeah. But against man coverages, you need players to win more often, and you don't get the same timing. What What is that? Synchronicity or whatever, because it's like you get more jams. You get guys thrown off their routes a little bit here and there. And you need to kind of counter the defense when they do that by making the defense pay for creeping upward. And they don't do that. Cliff Kingsbury won't call – I mean, I guess he called a few – deep routes with Christian Kirk was getting a few of them. Andy Isabella had a couple earlier, but then last week it's like three and a point seven yards per attempt for Kyler Murray. Like that's just bad play. Yeah. Calling. yeah I, I thought that was like a typo accident, or something by accident. You should be able to get a big play in there. And Kingsbury came up with the precise design necessary to preempt the possibility of, of the defense so much as like slipping on a route. And it's because it's predictable basically. And it's, you can see kind of the hints of it being predictable by all of the receivers running very low depths of target. And I should say Fitzgerald and Hopkins 
we're running very low depths of target uh, targets. And then Kirk and Isabella are at like 20 yards depth of target. So there's so no intermediate. There's nothing in between. And we know that the long ones aren't being realized actually because it's it's not they're not landing these targets so the and also deandre hopkins always lines up in the same spot christian kirk always lines up in the same spot it's always on the left side with hopkins so if you're always going to be on the left side you're never going to motion this guy you're never going to send other routes to tangle with with the coverage of his then eventually nfl defensive coordinators will simply find ways to sit on that and cliff kingsbury needs to make an adjustment and he's shown basically no ability to make any kind of adjustment at all so he better get on that or else he could be kind of out of here pretty soon because this could get really bad like if if a, if a team like last if a defense like last week can do what they did then kingsbury could get himself into some really problematic game results coming up now I think he's shown like sparks of insight. Like he's come up with little tricks here and there, uh, usually within the kind of ideological framework that he started with. So it's it's not truly like he's seeing outside of the box, but he's he's kind of like seeing different ways within his own box. But he's gonna have to take it to the next level and start actually innovating and and anticipating and preempting things. And he just hasn't done it yet. So um, you know the Jets' defense isn't very good at covering, and I think DeAndre Hopkins, Andy Isabella. Uh, Christian Kirk can get open, but I don't know if they would. I, I literally don't know if Cliff, King, Cliff Kingsbury will ask them to get open. I don't know if it'll just be more like more of the same, th- running three drag routes at the same time and hoping that the defense mixes one of them up. And whoops, they didn't. I guess we'll punt again. Well, I mean, at the vi- maybe Kyler has to start. You know. And it's it's tough for like a second year player to like overrule his coach, but like maybe he can start calling out the things that he sees because I mean, if Brett but Rippin like, can it, can throw touchdowns on the Jets, I assume Kyler Murray can throw like four. Right, but in, oh yes, Kyler Kyler Murray is awesome. I think Cliff Kingsbury is clearly holding him back. Um, but it's it's just like Cliff Kingsbury's offense to this point is kind of like what if you took four verticals and made it four curls every single play and all in your philosophy is telling or, or drags, whatever it is. And, and you're telling the receivers like, okay, your job is to run the perfect route every play. And according to my theory, if everyone runs the perfect route on every play somewhere in the defense, they will slip up. And it's like, why? If, if, if you, if you can run the perfect route every play, and if that's your expectation and then why can't the defense just perfectly cover it every time? Like you have to make them, you have to bring surprise into it. You have to, you have to bring into some kind of twist there he's like it's a sort of um it's just like a slightly uh i don't know what you would call it it's like it's like the thomas dimitrov version of trench warfare like it's just saying like line up and beat the guy ahead of you it's like well why don't we sneak up on him and hit him from the side instead like what doesn't that sound easier and and cliff kingsbury so far is choosing the first version (sighs) maginot line cliff over here not good it's um, not. Uh, he's 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 got to grow a dang uh, noggin or something. Like he's he's operating like he's just using like a, a like a sheet of answers and he doesn't know what the answers mean or why they are listed there. And he's, he's like, got the oh, wrong test. Working. Yeah, just like Animal House. Um, <laughs> we would be remiss. I mean, we we've talked about this game for a couple minutes. Not a single mention of Joe Flacco, Mario. Come on. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, Darnold's not even playing. Um, I don't know. <laughs> This I, 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 all we had to do is mention him. That that that, that was I the only re, uh, quota that I needed. Work. I'm leaving. 
Okay. I don't know. I, I guess I think Murray should have a good game because the Jets aren't really built to cover three, four decent receivers on a play. Uh, and Flacco sucks. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to pick the Cardinals to cover seven, but uh, man, Flacco is going to look really bad. Yeah, I'd, I like. I can't believe like Flacco just Flacco has never struck me as a guy that was like really gung ho about football. So the the fact that he's hanging on this long after his prime, other than and like he already got paid like insanely. And, like so, what's it? What even is the point? Why would you do this? Why would you go play I for think the it's, Jets? Uh, it's some kind of like axe to grind for him it's like he knows everybody groans when he gets steps on the field now so now out of spite he tries to play forever i, I guess um he does have elite uh hair among the quarterbacks but um that, that's about all he's got going for him at, at this stage um should be good for crowder that's all i really think about the jets though okay and then it, when darnold gets back though we met, mentioned jeff smith earlier can jeff smith be a thing well, he's a really good athlete, and he hasn't played receiver very long, so could happen. Okay. Uh, he, he had really promising results in that first game, which, you know, easy opponent or not, uh, fluky or not, it's kind of impressive to do that sort of, you know, showing up to the team like three days earlier. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty dang fast and quick and stuff, so something to work with there, at least, unlike Hogan. Yeah, I put a fab bit on him in NFFC, but I also had one. It, it was a contingency one in case I didn't get Gabriel Davis, but I got Gabriel Davis, so I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, Jeff Smith can run. We know that. Yes, much. yes. All right, let's move. Oh, and I guess Le'Veon Bell being back, uh, we got to mention that. Ugh. God, everything <laughs> is just annoying about that team. Gr- Hate them. Gronage. Um, okay. All right. En- enough of that one then. Um, let's get on over to the Eagles going up against the Steelers. I groan when it, when it comes to the Eagles. I think that they're just not very fun to watch. And like the, no. I don't know what the heck that Sunday night game was, but they ended up winning it. I mean, the, the, the Mullins pick picks um, were just dreadfully bad, unbelievably bad. That was the bad. worst one ever, man. Yeah. That, that Singleton one. Yeah, yeah. that's just the worst interception. And I know there's there's like some surprisingly bad interceptions that someone could go dig up and like or one where where a guy probably says, like, I'm going to throw this to you and then throws it to him. Something insane like that. But other than saying, hey, Alex, I'm throwing this ball to you. Like, that's the only way that play could have been worse. I don't I don't understand how like Mullins let me down, too, because I thought he was better than that and uh wow he is not yeah yeah it's unfortunate i mean that they hammered it home during the broadcast but it's like he needs to be play he if you have like the training wheels on him and he's just playing within the structure of the shanahan system he can kind of make it work well enough and the second he gets outside of it it just it goes to hell immediately and I'm not inclined to give the Eagles defense a ton of credit no. for that one. No. So uh, I, I, I totally understand the spread here. Beathard moved the ball on them at the end. And Beathard sucks. Yes. It's the thing. Beathard was – he is still, I think, worse than Mullins. Um, but it's like Mullins was just so insanely bad. And, and, and the Eagles defense, in any case, I don't think looks especially intimidating for the Steelers' offense. Like that's, I do have some fear that Roethlisberger just isn't quite – uh, not necessarily like his arm is wrong in any way, but it's like he's just not in the rhythm. He's not in the 
like the mood for throwing deep and you have to go deep eventually and you can't bank on that clay pool yards after the catch scenario happening when you need it to. So I'd like to see the depth of target go up on basically everybody, but especially Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson and James Washington, especially James Washington, I guess I should say, because th- he's not even throwing deep to James Washington. And it's like, how, how do you not, isn't that the only thing he does? Um, but they're not doing so that. So is Claypool going to overtake him then? I don't think so, really. I mean, I think James Washington is still as good as he's been. It's just that Roethlisberger isn't throwing the same throws that he used to, and there might be some reason in the matchups or the play calling of the defenses that would explain that. We also it, just have less sample with the Steelers. Like, it's it's really hard to, especially with so many unknowns about the Steelers coming into this year because we, you know, we didn't know how Roethlisberger would gel with these guys coming off the injury and everything. Having one less game to analyze it makes it, it makes the Steelers all the more difficult to read on the offensive side, I think. Yeah, and they didn't seem to have a clear identity before any of this, before this, uh, you know, the last time they've been playing. I mean, uh, so it's it's one of those things like we know what the Steelers have looked like for a long time and they don't quite look that way yet. And there's a simple fact like they can't keep throwing passes this short forever. Like somebody's got to start going downfield because Roethlisberger is going to have these short routes sat on by somebody like maybe they're giving them a lot of cushion and maybe that's why he keeps taking them. I don't know. But you can't keep producing with this with these sort of peripheral stats, you know, so something's got to give. I think it will be that Roethlisberger throws deeper. It's it's a little bit of a question in this game just because the Eagles do have a legitimately good front four. Uh, like their pass rush is, is definitely one of the better ones in the league in terms of their at least their four down linemen. So that could be a concern for most teams. I just don't know if it is for the Steelers because they have one of the better offensive lines. So if that strength neutralizes one of the Eagles' primary strengths, then we're just down to a game where, like, even if Ben Roethlisberger is something other than good, Carson Wentz just kind of uh, doesn't have anything going for him on the other side. Like, he doesn't have the good line to neutralize what is uh, an even better pass rush than the Eagles one in, in the Pittsburgh defense, of course. So I, I feel like that spread at seven, holding at seven, makes sense, even as the over-under drops three points. Because I just don't know what the Eagles can even theoretically do in this game. Can the Eagles catch a little bit of crap for the um, kind of doing like a worse impression of something that was a terrible idea to begin with from uh, Lamar Jackson's rookie year where they would bring like they would like split Flacco out wide and and bring Lamar Jackson. And at least Carson Wentz looks like he kind of wants to be out there during those plays. But this like Jalen Hurts stuff. It, it doesn't do good for anybody. Yeah, it's just one of those cases of a team not thinking something through and kind of fixating on the wrong logic. Like they look at Jalen Hurts in the pre-draft process and they conclude the true the true conclusion. Like, hey, he's a pretty good prospect. He seems like a, a good football player. You know, we could always use more good football players. And it's like, well, in the one sense, sure, you could always use more good football players, but You're how good are months. they for you if you don't know how to use them? Mm-hmm. And so they're they're getting in this point where they're like, oh, we really got to get a return on this guy. He's pretty good after all. Like he's he's a good player. It's like, yeah, but you don't have the infrastructure to like use him in any way. So it doesn't matter. And they're kind of instead of accepting the fact that they can't use him, they're trying to get the worst of both worlds basically by you know throwing off Wentz's rhythm. Uh, forfeiting the pass threat and putting 
hurts on the field for these impotent run threat plays that do nothing to throw off the defense. Like that's that's like the play that all those guys used to defend the most in high school and college. Yeah, they like breathe a sigh of relief when when that formation comes out. Yeah, it's like it's like going back to first grade for a few plays. It's just it's 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 a ridiculous idea. The only way that the Eagles could leverage that in a useful way is if it adds an actual layer of deception by fitting into the broader offense, which they don't. They they come out and say like they think like, "Oh, if if it's a new look, you won't know what's happening then, right?" And it's like, "No, we can tell that you can only do this one thing because that's that's the equipment you have on the field right now." And so, we won't we won't worry about the other stuff because you can't do any of the other stuff. And uh, I think they're learning that, but it, it's just kind of annoying when coaches have to relearn these things. It's like, "Come on, you know, you know, putting a gimmick play on the field that you broadcast ahead of—it's like telling them ahead of time that you're going to do a trick play. It makes no sense. It's yeah, it's insanely dumb. Uh, sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, headphone cut out for a second. Um, sorry. Um, is there any piece of this Eagles passing game that you can kind of sell yourself on? Um, and then also, what do you do with Miles Sanders right now? Well, Sanders has kind of like a bad matchup, but I think so much usage might funnel toward him that he should be fine. And in PPR, I can imagine him having something like six catches for, you know, 40 yards or something like that in this game. Just because if that spread is correct, then the Steelers will get a lead such that the Eagles will start to throw a lot. And the Eagles receivers are still beat up. They're probably not very good, even if they are healthy. And Sanders is going to get targets. I, I would imagine anyway that the Steelers will first concern themselves with Zach Ertz. Uh, so I guess one of Ertz or Sanders has to do something in the passing game and PPR just because Wentz is going to have to throw passes. And, and he, if, if Wentz throws 40 passes and he completes, you know, 22 of them, it's like, do we think John Hightower and uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside are combining for 10 of those? It's like, no. So, so Sanders has to do something. It just not. It might not be like that efficient of a, of a game from scrimmage for him. We need more Travis Fulgham is, is really the answer. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 a I don't know, he's got something. I think that was a fluke play, basically. But uh, they're desperate, so they're going to keep going back to him until he fails. I think. Yep, it's it's just like that for Philly. Time a flat circle, of course. Um, let's move on over. Um, we'll get we'll hit this one quickly because I'm not super confident that this that this game even happens. But uh, Bills Titans, a lot of a lot of stuff flying around as of as of Thursday morning about about this one. Um, not going to get into that too much here, but if this one gets played, if, what do you, I mean, just a, a quick and dirty, how do you see it unfolding? I guess I would pick the Bills, but... Bills look uh, good, man. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think that um, the Tennessee secondary doesn't have anyone who can cover right now either, so... And they can't stop the, the run at all. They can't stop the run that well, Um I think they have the personnel to do that, but it's not happening yet. It would be kind of interesting to see Jayon Brown spying Josh Allen a little bit. I wonder if that could maybe slow him in the running game, and I wonder if that would throw off their formula at all, if so. But, uh, yeah, I don't think the game happens. I think this is probably going to get written down as a forfeit that the Bills get. Wow, yeah. (laughs) Because Mike Vrabel, that guy had to have known that that, that he might have even directed it. Uh, that the team would would do something like that. So, because uh, he's he's one of those guys, 
one of those types of guys. Don't really need to talk about them, but he is one of those types of guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's not fair to the Bills to, to you know deprive them of the opportunity to get a win in a game where they probably would. And uh, Titans got to pay. Yep, I agree. Um, let's get on over. We got the Rams going up against the football team. The Rams have basically just this is their third game in the Eastern Time Zone so far out of five games. Um, Getting them ready for the moving franchise. <laughs> yeah, the, let the Chargers just have that that SoFi Stadium or whatever the heck it is. Um, anyway, so the football team made an interesting change, and and we talked about this off air, but Haskins. Coming off, you know, a game where he showed a pulse, finally. And it was against a good team. The, like, the Ravens' challenging secondary. And for Haskins to do as well as he did, I thought was an encouraging sign. So for him to get benched, we you you put it this way when we were talking, it almost feels scheduled that, that Haskins oh, gets yeah. pulled after the fourth week. Yeah, it was scheduled in, like, a, a loose – it was, like, a play-it-by-ear scheduling thing. Like, Ron Rivera knew perfectly well he was going to go into this year looking for a reason to bench Dwayne Haskins. He couldn't just do it at the outset because that would correctly draw criticism. So he needs Dwayne Haskins to go out there and fail so he can create the pretext for putting in this guy that he would have, in his own perfect universe, have just started in week one, which is Kyle Allen. Now, I don't know why Ron Rivera thinks Kyle Allen is so great – but Ron is wrong, and Ron is wrong just as like on a personal level for doing things this way. Uh, this is a team that has a lot of reason to feel defeated, and Ron Rivera tr- traditionally does a good job of making like earning the respect and admiration of his players, getting them to play hard. But can he do that in a Dan Snyder organization after he just benched the guy who, by most accounts, was preferred? by, by his, the pass catchers on that team. It's like Steven Sims and Terry McLaurin obviously like Dwayne Haskins. And this is important. Kyle Allen is worse. Kyle yes. Allen will not make anything better. And so if you tell these guys they have to go out there and play through a plague for Dan Snyder's money and go, uh, you know, watch watch the guy who was, who was probably like a friend of theirs go not only from the starter – but basically kicked off the team because Ron Rivera didn't want to deal with him anymore because he was just inconvenienced by it. like think about this like the, the Ron Rivera is going up to this guy and benching him for having his best game of the year in the toughest matchup of the year so far and do you think that Dwayne Haskins is not entitled to to reacting in, in a negative way because I think he is I think I think Dwayne Haskins has every right to 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 feel you know aggrieved by this and I think that Ron Rivera um, probably was in some way setting the bait so he could go like, oh, well, you, you're reacting very immaturely. And so now I have to make Alex Smith the backup, too. It's like he just wanted to get Dwayne Haskins off the team. And this is the best pretext he could think of for doing it. And on some some conscious level, I bet Ron doesn't think any of this is true. Like he, he probably on some level convinced himself like I gave him every chance but people are good at lying to themselves people in this this culture are really great at laundering their ulterior motives and convincing themselves like no I'm the good guy I, I'm not up to any funny business here whereas I, I just think someone more honest than Ron would have said at the start of the year like look Kyle Allen's my quarterback I don't care we're not having a competition because Kyle's my guy I'm not interested in a competition if it means that I don't get to start Kyle so we're not having a competition Dwayne Haskins, if you want a release or you want a trade request, 
that's fair. I'll try to trade you or cut you. But instead, he wanted to play it the way such that he's not the bad guy because he just that's his main thing is convincing everyone that he's not the bad guy. And um, I don't think that anyone b- will buy it. I don't think that this team is good enough or has enough to play for to stay, you know, like disciplined, impartial soldiers throughout it all. So I think that uh, you know, Terry McLaurin's amazing. He'll be fine. Uh, Antonio Gibson's coming to life a little bit. Yes. This stuff about how like Kyle Allen's going to improve the offense and nope. he's going to make Antonio Gibson and Christian McCaffrey. It's like, man, Mike Davis is already Christian McCaffrey. Is it just that it was the Panthers or something about the team there, like, or just the choice of setting up an offense that way? And like, it's it's not that it's not that Kyle Allen was the key to unlocking. It's Christian McCaffrey broke out with Cam Newton too. It's it's. It's not going to happen, and also Antonio Gibson is not Christian McCaffrey. So that whole thing is dumb. The offense might not get worse because it was already pretty close to the basement level, but this is the worst offensive line I can remember seeing. And Kyle Allen is a quarterback who got benched at the University of Houston for Kyle Postma, who I think they moved to receiver after that or played receiver before that. So Kyle Allen was really bad last year in Carolina. He has a tougher task in this setting and um, he's got, you know, bad karma riding on him, basically. Like it's it's uh, there's nothing legitimate about this. And that matters. It's going there's going to be kind of a, a political cost to behaving this way if you're Ron Rivera. That was a great rant. I really enjoyed that. That was good stuff. I mean, hard, hard to really add anything on to that. That 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 summed it up pretty succinctly as far as the state of being uh, for this Washington football team. For our purposes, uh, how does this set up for the Rams? <laughs> it feels like a hollow um, I question. I think it'll but. be a good game for the Rams offense. I mean, the Washington defensive line is still a problem, but it's the only problem in that defense. So you can kind of uh, single them out. They can the work around that, yeah. Yeah, you can just put extra resources towards stopping them. And uh, these corners, I don't think, can cover these receivers. And especially when you throw in the McVeigh trickery variable, uh, yeah, it could be any of Cooper Cup, uh, Robert Woods, Tyler Higby. Any of them could have a pretty big game. More than one of them could have a pretty big game. Uh, I think Daryl Henderson bounces back yep. after a dud last week. I don't really know what happened there, but I wouldn't really be that surprised if McVeigh was just kind of not using the full playbook. I think the, and... the Rams just kind of took their foot off the gas that entire game. Like, that was not a good game from the Rams. They, they slapwalked. Yeah, I mean, it's. I really feel like McVeigh was not trying quite as much. Not that he was, not because he was looking forward to the Washington game next week, but uh, I think I think he just kind of knew a, a, a harmless opponent when he saw one, and uh, I guess there's a similar risk here. Like maybe maybe Goff doesn't have a big game because they don't use any of his cool tricks. But I I just I think even Goff, as long as that offensive line gives him like three seconds, I think even Goff without much trickery can beat that secondary i think so too especially with the weapons that he has around him um and then of course hopefully darrell henderson looks more like the guy he, he was in weeks two and three than, than uh week four um I, th- I think he can be um so should set yeah, up well for him as a bounce back um let's get on over we got the dolphins going across the country to face the 49ers <laughs> uh the niners um cra- crazy yeah, injury report still <laughs> what's that I will not be playing C.J. Beathard, but I, I do like the 49ers to, I, I guess, nine points is a lot, but I, I think I still take that one. Yeah, the Dolphins are, are in pretty rough shape, and we, I think Tua is still a ways away from starting, right? So um, I, guess, I guess my big question when it comes to 
uh, the Dolphins side. What's going on with Preston Williams? I'm seeing you know people saying that Isaiah Ford is now the the wide receiver too in Miami. What what's going on there? Uh, it's just the returns haven't been there for Williams. I don't, maybe he's shaking off some rust from the ACL, but he's their wide receiver too if he's healthy. Uh, I don't know if he maybe there's been kind of unreported details. Maybe his knees swelling up a little bit, stuff like that. But uh, Devonte Parker. The other thing is just like. It's unfair to compare or, or hold to the standard of a player like Devontae Parker when you're talking about a guy who was undrafted last year. So, and coming off an ACL tear, of course, at midseason. So, Devontae Parker's just really good, and it's going to be borderline impossible for any particular receiver on that team to compete with him, especially if they're they're still working their ACL back into shape. So, uh, I, th- I think it's like at once Parker's creating like an unrealistic ideal for the for the Williams investors, and also. Uh, like he's just kind of had a few fluky outcome point Ford's pretty good, but he plays a different position. Like it's uh, if he's their second wide receiver, it's because they've gone to a permanent wide receiver three set offense. And I don't think they'll do that. Durham Smith plays too much for that to be the case. So I think, uh, yeah, President Williams is going to be their wide receiver two pretty safely by the end of the year. The question is just like, what kind of utility does he provide in that capacity? Because it might not be that much. The second leading receiver, uh, especially if you're talking third leading receiver behind Gasicki, then on a team like the Dolphins, that might not be much value. Right. So that that's the concern that I'm starting to have there. And then on the Niners side, starting to get healthy in the receiving core. Um, I think the running back situation is still a little bit up in the air um, as far as Mostert is concerned. But between Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, are those guys that you can feel comfortable starting? I think I would feel comfortable about Debo. I'm a little skeptical of Ayuk still. Like I know he's very explosive, but I see people altering their projections for him based on being like, "Oh wow, he looks fast." It's like we knew he was fast. I didn't like in no in no way did I mean to question how fast or explosive he was. It was more like I think he needs to have structured, uh, like scripted plays to get involved because I don't know if he really creates uh, kind of like Debo Samuel. Like he, I don't think Debo Samuel is quite. The, the creator that that people kind of assumed that he was coming out of South Carolina. But if you set up situations like Kyle Shanahan can, then yeah, he'll, he'll be, he'll be good because he's an explosive athlete. And that's, that's definitely what I thought of Ayuk and a few big plays doesn't change that. Now, if he starts showing really good route running and just, you know, getting corners to twist their ankles when he's running slants and stuff like that, then that would be something that I would really, really need to recalibrate everything because it's like, man, if Ayuk is as explosive as he is and now he's running routes really well it's like that that's a really good receiver right mm-hmm. there but for now i think he's not as good as debo and i think both of them are safely behind kittle so if yeah. i'm wondering like how much i how much value i expect from the third pass catcher in a cj bethard offense it's probably not that much um but as it plays like tournament plays in dfs and in fantasy with all the nonsense going on the injuries and the covid it's like I, I can imagine quite a few scenarios where you would want Ayuk in your lineup. It's just I think it's one of those things where you have to be resigned to the reality that, you know, maybe this doesn't work. It's maybe it's just the best option that I have. Right. Yeah. High upside, but but plenty of risk along with it. Um, let's get on over to the Colts going up against the Browns. Colts two point <sighs> favorites on the road. Browns down Nick Chubb, of course. Um, so, so leading off there, how do you think that the Browns, I mean, they, they ended up scoring a ton of points. I think Dallas definitely helped them w- with that. But um, what does this offense look like without Nick Chubb? Like, do, does Kareem Hunt 
how how much bigger does his role get? Um, the diminishing returns now with, with you know your RB two not being Kareem Hunt anymore, and that now it's Dearness Johnson. Um, what does it look like for this Browns offense? I don't know, and I don't know if they know either because it seems like this groin injury that Hunt has isn't a really big deal. Like maybe he feels it a little bit, but it doesn't seem like it's changing their approach a whole lot. But we might kind of see something like. Kareem Hunt takes Nick Chubb's previous role, which is to say with less pass catching, and Dearness Johnson takes the Kareem Hunt role because Dearness Johnson was a pass catching specialist coming into the NFL. And I know he had the big rushing performance last week, but his whole deal was like he was a pass catching specialist at Southern Flor- at South Florida when Marlon Mack was the starter, and he was always really good at it. Like he was he was um it's like him and Tristan Ebner basically are the only running backs I can think of who were like this where they basically just caught passes Mm -hmm. and he was really good at it on a team that was bad at throwing the ball so I think Dearness Johnson has some skill as a just a guy you know in the open field he's pretty slow uh but he he seems to have the knowledge and like the innate instincts of of just playing uh, football in the open field so he could do the pass catching stuff that Hunt did before Chubb got hurt and maybe they say well now Hunt we need you to take the 20 carries because Chubb can't anymore because they're not just going to start throwing the ball like Baker Mayfield can't and they don't have any good receivers after Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry I, I do still think Taewon Taylor is better than uh Kaderil Hodge who they they put on IR but uh they don't they don't notice that so it's not like I have reason to believe they'll feature Taylor and if they did feature Taylor I will say it would give them a new speed element on the other side opposite uh, Odell Beckham that could maybe create new possibilities for everyone. I just am not convinced that Stefanski notices things like this. Mm, okay. All right. So there will not in your mind be like any sort of like philosophical change. I mean, they again, can't throw the ball, you know, like it's like if they, they have to run the ball or else they kind of just forfeit categorically the way Baker Mayfield is playing this year. Uh, I, I guess, I mean, you're right. Um, I I definitely just like vacillate on on my opinions of Baker Mayfield's ability to to stick as a as a you know a, a starting quarterback in the NFL, but yeah I mean one of those touchdowns last week was not him throwing it it was Jarvis Landry, um, but yeah I, this could be an ugly game because Rivers sucks on the other side and that Cleveland pass rush could they have four really good down linemen who could cause problems for any line any O line I think including the Colts. So uh, I could see that this being like an under game, basically, where both sides are, are completely grounded. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. That this, this should be an ugly one, especially no Nick Chubb on that one on the one side for the Browns being such a huge factor. And then Philip Rivers being an anchor on the on the Colts offense, too. Um, when it comes to the Colts, though, I mean, let's get into their their fantasy relevant guys quickly uh, between Jonathan Taylor, um, T.Y. Hilton, Mo Ali Cox. How does it look for them? Well, Mo Alley-Cox is their best tight end, but Frank Reich doesn't know it. So there's no guarantee that he'll ever realize it. I, I'm going with Mo Alley-Cox in a couple leagues, but it's it's just because uh, I think he's an exceptional talent. It's like I know that the role could be quite uh, constricting to him. So, uh, But sometimes you just don't have any better alternatives. Uh, with that said... I don't really like the setup for T.Y. Hilton just because I don't know if Rivers can get him the ball. And I think Denzel Ward is exactly the kind of corner who who Hilton does not want to see. 
beyond that, maybe Michael Pittman can get a good look here or there, I guess. So he's he's still dinged guy. up, isn't he? Or he had the, oh, com- is he? Sorry, he had the compartment, leg compartment. Oh, crap, yeah. yeah. So uh, Zach Pascal is the slot guy. Nothing obvious with the matchup there, but I, I it's, it's like one of those things. I don't think Rivers can throw the ball to Hilton if he's open. I, th- I think he would sooner throw to Pascal covered than Hilton open on the outside. And uh, it all sounds ugly to me. I don't really want to wager on any of it. But I do think, you know, Taylor's going to go off one of these games. I just don't know if a defensive line like the Browns is, is the ideal setting, especially if they keep trying – if they keep getting, like, crowded boxes and they think, like, oh, well, we got to throw because that's what you would do if you had a good quarterback. But it's like you do, you don't have a good quarterback, so I don't know what going to Rivers – really gets you there. I almost feel like they'd be better off just giving Taylor 20 carries, giving Jordan Wilkins 12 and giving Hines like six, just because uh, I think rivers, the more he throws, the more likely that he's going to get hit throwing, turn the ball over, take sacks, things like that. Yeah. It's, it's very weird how how Indianapolis is playing ball this year. Uh, If they had cam on their team, they'd be like a super bowl. They'd be like an AFC championship favorite. Then the hype would have made sense. Yeah, signing Phil anyway. Rivers never made sense to have them be, be as hyped as they as they were coming into the season. He's so so bad. Um, I I can't. I'm getting heated. Um, let's get on over Giants Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys are putting up a lot of points. At least they're, they're sort of like a supercharged version of like the Bucks from last year or something, where they they are just a you know, an amusement park of they're like NFL Texas Tech. Yes, it's yeah, it's really fun. Um, for for our purposes, I I can't imagine being a Cowboys fan is very fun right now. But for our purposes, it's it's dandy. Uh, I love the way that things have been going. But um, what what do you make of this game? Well, I guess Devontae Freeman has a nice setup. I think he's clearly the best running back they have, but I can't tell if I care just because that's such a low bar. And I, I do think Freeman is more or less washed up. It's just like, you know, it's easy to look good when you're running next to Deion Lewis and Wayne Gallman. So I'm not really inclined to, to get my hopes up too high there. But if you have him as a flex option this week, I think this is one of your better setups as far as Freeman specifically goes. Daniel Jones has to bounce back here. I don't like I think Daniel Jones was a terrible draft pick. I am still pretty surprised at how bad he's been this year. And I would be completely floored if he doesn't bounce back in this setting so i think he'll be good i think you gotta like slayton uh probably evan ingram i guess i don't know what the latest is on shepherd if shepherd were back you'd feel better about jones even more but honestly i think i think uh cj board could get open on this dallas defense i don't think it matters who they have at receiver yeah it, yeah I, th- I think so too it's it's uh it's crazy how bad that dallas defense has been but then for for the giants part um, defensively, they are obviously in, in a really tough spot. Have you been able to like find any sort of rhythm to the way um, in which one of these uh, Cowboys receivers is the wide receiver one on on a given week? Um, yeah, it's I- Cooper. It's just uh, he, he's he's the best of the three, and he runs the most kind of practical route. Like Gallup's the guy who's always going to be playing the sideline, playing more downfield uh, probably. Than, than Cooper is and certainly more than Lamb is in the slot. But honestly, the way the Dallas defense is right now, it really might just kind of be all three most of the time. Mm-hmm. But Cooper's the one who will be least volatile. Gallup, the one who is most volatile. But I think also you would say like Gallup is the one most likely 
there. Or Gallup is the, is the one more likely between himself and Lamb to have like a 30-point-plus day. Yeah, uh, the, cost, yeah totally. the trade-off being that Gallup is also more likely of the two to have a four-point day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good way of framing it. And then uh, th- this might be Zeke's best game of the year, I think, setup-wise. Yeah, based on the spread and the kind of, uh, you know, this is this is a one-in-three team. You might worry about a three-in-one team giving Zeke the second half off in it with a 10-point favored status, but I don't think a one-in-three team will do that. No, no, I don't think so either, so look for him to get fed. Um, let's get on over. We got a couple more games to get to. Broncos, Patriots. Uh, Patriots having played the the Chiefs this past week uh, still not totally sure what's going on with this game but as it stands Patriots five point favorites in this one um, so that I assume that's a that's a line that suggests that Cam is not playing uh Cam can't play I don't th- well I guess there's that asymptomatic technicality I don't it sounds insane to me to let a guy who tested positive play in a game and I I don't know I don't know man these these people are insane I don't know what they are doing and i don't know how much you know epidemiologist input is going into any of it but i don't think cam can play i don't think they can play hoyer uh they, they gotta go with stidham and i think stidham is just garbage so it, it that i guess tells you where they're at i don't i don't like putting 11 points on a team with stidham starting you know i don't i don't care how bad the other team is no um yeah i was i was tweeting out on monday night like come on bill let us see Stidham. Let's see how bad it is. Um, Man, Hoyer was playing like an idiot in that <laughs> game. And he is like a 15-year veteran. Just I know. Complete, just playing like an infant. Unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, Stidham, on the other hand, is just uh, brutal to watch. It's like it's like uh, all the terror of Duck Hodges but with none of the moxie to make up for it. And I think that at once – Brett Rippon will get torn to shreds by this Patriots defense. I don't think he finishes the game. I think they go back to Driscoll. But Or Bortles. Uh, yeah, or Bortles. Honestly, they never should have gone away from Driscoll. Like I know he's not good, but uh Rippon is worse. It's Yeah, it's the, the more like Rippon played with Moxie against the Jets. Like I think you can at least say that. I think that he's like yeah. deserving of an NFL job as a as a backup in some capacity. Probably should be your third string. But the longer, like the longer that game went on, and the more opportunities that he was out there to show his true self, it became more and more evident that he was just just not cut out for 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 starting and, and leading an NFL team. So yeah, they, they should go back to Driscoll. I, I'm with you. Where Driscoll, not great certainly, but I think he's he's at least a competent backup. Um, and they should just utilize him as a runner because yes. I know that he does, he can't throw very well, but that we've seen this happen over and over. If you utilize, if you leverage his running ability, you make the defense play the pass less seriously, and then a worse passer can throw on the defense now. So, uh, but yeah, unless they do that, I guess they're just wasting time. Um, but yeah, they're gonna have to give Gordon the ball a lot, and I think they will. So I, I guess I don't. I, I guess I kind of like the Broncos to cover just because I almost think th- this is one of those games where they could be hopeless, dominated. Start to finish in all four quarters and still only lose by like eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely see see that as as a possibility. And when it comes to the Patriots, can you make some sense out of Damian Harris? I thought Harris was fine in that game. I didn't really see. Uh, I didn't see much that was conclusive in any way. It's like he ran hard. He got yardage that was available. So it's it's kind of checking the box. But I don't know if there's really any conclusions that we can run with other than. They'll give him the ball 
if, if there are rushing attempts to give out and uh, he'll, he'll run hard, you know, he'll, he, he doesn't leave yardage on the field. I guess what we, we, we wait to see now is can he get involved as a pass catcher, which he didn't in the last game. And can he kind of, can he, can he show us some second and third moves? Cause we saw him do the run straight ahead as hard as you can move. And, and I know at Alabama, he, he made some elusive plays. So I guess I, I think he has more that he can do. I just don't want to be like too presumptuous. Makes sense. Um, let's get on over to the Vikings going up against the Seahawks, the Sunday night matchup. Um, we got the Seahawks seven point favorites in this one. Vikings obviously showed some some pulse, some life last week. Um, you know the the offense I think can have you know some some success. I mean you have Adam Thielen working, you have Dalvin Cook as obviously one of the best running backs in the league. Um, Justin Jefferson coming on really, really strong is a huge development for them. Uh, it's just a matter of, sorry, man, your defense is, nobody's defense is going to stop the Seahawks this year. And it, if anyone is, it's definitely not the Vikings. Yeah, I guess seven points and before that nine points might've been asking a lot of the Seahawks, but Minnesota's corners are Cam Dantzler and Jeff Gladney, two rookies. Mike Hughes, their other corner, isn't very good. Holton Hill, it's just, it's bad. So I think Lockett can just run endless circles around these guys. Holton Hill and Cam Dantzler are built to to match up with DK Metcalf, but particularly in Dantzler's case, he doesn't have the athleticism to match with DK Metcalf. And uh, yeah, it's like, he, he can probably keep Chris Carson under control, but those two receivers are just, you know, total total ace cards to pull on, on pretty much any defense, let alone one starting two overmatched rookies at corner. Yeah, so that, that's just going to be too much. Um, so if this does set up as a game script where the, the Vikings are playing from behind, what does that do as far as your interest in Thielen or Jefferson for this week? See, I don't know because I, I I like those two. I definitely think they're good players. And Justin Jefferson, interestingly, is not playing slot receiver. He's playing outside. So that that's kind of interesting that he's not playing the slot anymore. He's going to keep getting these downfield shots apparently. I don't know if these – it looks like Quentin Dunbar might be out again. If he's out, then Justin Jefferson or Thielen, whoever they put on the left side – can run away from Trey Flowers, no doubt in my mind. So that matchup should be available to them at all times. And um, I don't know. Cook should run on them. The, the Seattle defense is a bit beat up in general, I should mention. So Cook should be going. Cook obviously has that kind of game takeover possibility. He, he, he can do that kind of stuff. And, and I don't see any reason why he couldn't against a defense like this. It's just like the way I imagine it going wrong is if they get taken out of that setup. If they basically have to go three wide, four wide, something like that, then I worry about Kirk Cousins turning into a pumpkin because he he can only I only see easy or consistent success for him if he's kind of setting up comfortably in a run viable a, a formation that's both run and pass viable and kind of isolating on Trey Flowers in the passing game and then letting Dalvin do the, the lifting otherwise. Because if they have to switch the f- script to uh, we take a little bit of the load off Dalvin and we start attacking Shaq Griffin, then I get a little concerned because as much as Thielen and, and maybe even Jefferson too can beat Griffin, Griffin can get some victories too. Whereas with Flowers, I think he just loses almost every single time. And uh, if, if they 
if they keep it in their offensive terms, like if they if they keep their kind of balanced setup, I think they should be consistent. But if they fall too far behind, I worry about Cousins doing uh, like the Colts game, I guess. And this is in prime time. You know what that means? Uh, stupid Kirk. Yes, like it, like famously okay. stupid Kirk. And I mean, we even yeah, saw man. it in Seattle last yeah. year. Yeah, I I am a little worried about it because again, if he gets taken off of his script, he just he just falls apart. Yeah, it's yeah, it it gets really bad for him on on prime time, and and then also like like you said, when more actionably uh, when he's asked to to bring a team back, it, it, that's when the wheels really fall off for that Vikings team, and the defense being as bad as they are going into a road game against an offense that's clicking as hard as the Seahawks. It's it's a really huge ask uh, for Cousins and the Vikings here on Sunday night. Let's round it out. Monday night, Chargers, Saints. One of the weirder Monday night matchups I, I can remember. Just not a ton of buzz about this one. Um, the the Saints got the win in in uh, in Detroit last week. The Chargers did not play well. Obviously in Tampa this past week they have no Austin Eckler now. That that definitely stings. But it looks like you know I'm eating my words a little bit at least so far as far as the uh, Justin Herbert experience is, is going thus far. But still I think the Saints are just too quality here to to really um, fall to the Chargers at home, especially if they're able to get Michael Thomas back. Yeah, uh, seven and a half points seems like a lot to me though. I think the Chargers' defense is pretty legit, and I I do worry that they're the kind of defense that Breeze might specifically struggle with, just because they're they're more built to stop that intermediate and underneath than they are to stop the deep ball. So if Breeze can't threaten the deep ball, that's not just a way that he can't beat them, but it's also a, a reason for the for the Chargers to focus that much more in the part of the field where Breeze is dependent and already maybe at like a little bit of a disadvantage here, but. Yeah, I, I just it's asking Herbert a lot to win on the road. They're still not letting him really cut loose either. Uh, they probably should have been throwing more aggressively against the Buccaneers because Herbert basically play, played great. He played better than Brady, but they were keeping the sample size small, and so the ball bounced the wrong way, and they were the losers of that one because it was like you know this, you might have had a chance to score an extra touchdown or catch up sooner in the game if you had thrown a little more aggressively. But there was there was just too much of a they wanted to protect Herbert, understandably, but I, I don't think you can. I think you need to let him try to score. You protect him by by having him not fall behind and letting the defense just you know focus on the pass rush. You you help him by keeping the game balanced on offense. And Keenan Allen, I, I mean, I don't think anyone can cover him on that Saints defense at all. So if if Allen is working, then I think Herbert can more or less work. And I'm not taking it as a given that Breeze gets much going. So Kamara, um, Murray, they really got to bail him out. Uh, the, the Saints defense needs to step up. I feel like seven and a half is too much. Yeah, seven and a half, definitely a big number for the Saints offense to cover as currently constructed. If Thomas is back and things are working a little bit better through the air, then maybe uh, things get sorted out and they're able to cover a number that big. Um, maybe the loss of Eckler ends up being a bigger impact than, than we are expecting or than this line uh, seems to imply. But either way, I, I'm with you there. Um, but that's going to round things out for today's show. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast and check back. Friday for Andrew Laird and Scott Jenstad breaking down the DFS slate for this weekend. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening.